0: It's okay, Sarah. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is living and breathing. And Lord, I, I am just so excited of the way, Father God, you just minister to our hearts. The way that your word just reaches down, and, and Father God, from thousands of years ago when it was penned, that, Lord, it's just as applicable to every single life in this room tonight. We thank you, Lord, that no one's here by chance, that everyone is here is by divine appointment. Lord, you've drawn us here, Lord, that we might be ministered to by you. And Lord, that we might minister to one another. So Father, we just pray that you would be our teacher tonight, that you would go before us. We just thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Exodus 24, I titled the message, Israel's Covenant with God. And the last four chapters, starting in chapter 20, we saw the Ten Commandments, and we saw how God was giving laws to Israel. We saw both the law of God and the law of Moses. Remember that the law of God is for all people at all times. It applies to us today. It very clearly applies to us today, and that includes the Ten Commandments. Then we saw the law of Moses that was specific to Israel, but has direct application to our lives today. Though we don't, though we don't go by the law of Moses anymore, we're not sacrificing animals or doing any of those kinds of things, but we still can learn by looking at the law of Moses, And then tonight we're going to pick up as we go from him sharing the law of God and the law of Moses to the covenant that is made between God and the people of Israel. And we're going to see this old covenant that has now passed away, but this old covenant, we'll see why it failed. And we'll see why there are many people today still trying to live under the old covenant. And what do I mean by that? You're trying to be good enough so that somehow God will love you. You're trying to do enough good works, trying to do enough good things, so somehow you'll earn God's favor. And I want to tell you that really lines up more with the Old Covenant, where it's really all about the law and not as much about grace. But now we're not under the law anymore, we're under the grace of Almighty God. So we saw back in the law of God, the Ten Commandments for all people at all times, and now the, the, how the law reveals to us our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. Why is there the law? What does the law do? The law shows men that we are sinners and we need Jesus. Now just after the commandments, if you remember what happened in Exodus chapter 20, God spoke from top of the mountain. You remember he opened the mountain up and it was so, the, the sound and there was lightning and thunder and the presence of God that all the people of Israel just turned and they knew that what was being delivered was powerful. But remember right after he gave them the Ten Commandments, there was something he commanded them not to do as they built an altar. They built an altar unto the Lord, and the altar was a place of sacrifice, because as soon as you have the law, you see the need for sacrifice. As soon as you realize that you're a sinner, you see the need for a Savior. As soon as you realize that there's conviction for what I've done wrong, I see that I need redemption. I need to be freed from my sin. And so they built an altar. Remember that the Lord told them, don't make the altar out of gold, don't make it out of silver, don't hewn the rock, make it out of dirt and old rocks. Because the focus should not be on the altar, but on the sacrifice. And there's a lot of churches today, they make their churches out of gold and silver and pained glass, and they make their churches really beautiful to try to somehow make people feel like they're in the presence of God. But the presence of God does not come from a beautiful building. And praise the Lord for that, because we're meeting in a gym. Amen? But here's the reality. We, our focus should not be on the building, but our focus ought to be on the sacrifice. And it's on Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. We're not tied to a building. We're not tied to a, you know, a church or a denomination. We're tied to Jesus Christ. And it's only through Him that we can have salvation. We also saw that as He gave the physical applications, He talked to him about law concerning servants. If you remember that, back in chapter 21, and he taught that we're bound by love, not by law. He said, you know, if a servant serves you for six years in the seventh year, you should let him go free. And you know what? That was a picture of the six days of creation and the seventh day is the Sabbath. And for each one of us, that our relationship with God shouldn't be out of duty or out of law or out of have to. You know, if you have a relationship with God and you go to church because you feel like you have to, you know, if I go, maybe God will get some brownie points or, you know, maybe God will love me a little more and I feel like, oh, I was really bad this week, I better go to church on Sunday, somehow that will even things out. You know, that's not the relationship we should have with God. We're not bound by law, we're not bound by have to, we're not bound by guilt, we're bound by love, amen? Nobody forced me to marry my wife. Nobody stuck a gun in my head and said, you've got to stay married to her, right? That wouldn't be a very good relationship. I'm not bound to her by law, I'm bound to her by love. And that's the kind of relationship we should have with God. He talked about laws concerning violence. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. People have taken that out of context to mean that somehow when somebody does something wrong to you, you've got to get even. You know what? Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. I've got to get even. Well, no, he was really not commanding us to get even. He was limiting us and keeping us from going overboard. You know what? We need to leave judgment in the hands of the judge. Amen? And I'm not the judge. God is. We saw uh, issues on property laws. He talked about laws of restitution, that sin requires payment. He talked about purity laws, the fact that intimacy equals marriage, that when, when you have a physical relationship with somebody in God's eyes, you've married them. And that's pretty heavy. Can you imagine if that were still a law today? Man, the, the bars would be empty, right? I mean, everything would change, right? If they, if they knew that they had intimacy with somebody, they had to give them half of their house, people might change their actions a little bit. I think that would be a good thing. We also saw that he talked about pro, uh, Sabbath laws We talked about the different feasts and then finally obeying the voice of God. So he says all of those things and the reason I'm pointing all that out to you is now we get to chapter 24 and all this communication that we've seen in these four chapters has been privately between God and Moses. Moses has gone up, God has given him these laws and now he's going to go down and deliver them to Israel. He's going to come down and share all the things we've looked at for the last month on Wednesday nights and he's going to deliver these truths to Israel and Israel's going to have a choice to make. They can either receive it Or they can turn away from it. So in chapter 24, Moses delivers God's ordinance, and then they make covenant with God. Look at verse 1. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. So who's this saying this to Moses? This is God. And he says, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Now Moses was on Mount Sinai when God spoke to him and gave him all these laws. And God told Moses to return to the mountain and bring Aaron with him. Now remember Aaron, Aaron was his spokesman. Remember when they went in and were freed out of the bondage in Egypt? Remember Aaron went with him because Moses said, well I'm a stutterer and I really can't talk very well. And so I'm not going to be able to do this by myself. And the Lord you know, it, it breaks God's heart when God tells us to do something and then we tell him we can't do it. Now, did God, if God tells us to do something, won't he equip us to do it as well? If he calls you, won't he equip you? And the answer is always. A burden is the spawning ground of a calling. If you've got a burden for something, I promise you God will equip you to do it. Just step out in faith and watch him work. Now, we see here that Moses was afraid and he was, you know, I'm a stutterer, I can't do it. So God said, take your brother with you. And Aaron ended up being his spokesman. We also saw Aaron that was was used pretty mightily when they fought the Amalekites. Remember they had the, the battle with Amalek? And God said, as long as you hold up your hands, you'll have victory. But if your hands drop, then the Amalekites, or the picture of your flesh, will run over the top of you. Remember that again in our own walk with God. As long as we're surrendered to the Lord, we'll have victory over the flesh. As long as we're people of prayer and of worship... We'll have victory over the flesh. But remember that as his hands dropped, God brought Aaron and her to hold up his hands all day long. And this is a picture of how you and I need fellowship. Without fellowship, Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. Amen? You're not supposed to have this Christian walk by yourself. You need fellowship. And so Aaron had done mighty things, and God sends Aaron up with him as he goes back to speak to the Lord. Now, he also sent with him Nadab and Abihu, and I'd be saying Abba who because I never heard of him either. But here's Nadab and Abihu are the sons of Aaron. And you know what, sadly, is these guys are going to witness, as we're going to see tonight, they're going to witness just the presence of God. But they're still going to go back, and we're going to see this all the way in Leviticus when we get there, that these guys are going to burn strange fire. Basically, worship false idols, worship false gods, and God's going to smoke them dead in their tracks. You know, it's really sad there are people that can be around the truth of God, but never truly understand it. You know, God has no grandchildren. I've said that many times. Because my parents went to church doesn't make me a Christian. And because my friends take me to church doesn't make me a Christian. And I I don't get saved by who I hang out with. I have to have a personal, intimate relationship with God, one-on-one myself. And though Aaron was the high priest of Israel, his sons are going to fall and they're going to end up being judged by God but they're part of the group and the seventy of the elders of Israel and it says and worship from afar now this is under the old covenant and it's interesting that they had to worship from afar now the seventy elders were like assistant pastors remember earlier when Moses had a a church of roughly three million people and they're all coming to him for counsel and his father-in-law Jethro said you know what Moses you can't do this by yourself you need to raise up men who can come alongside you who can minister to the people And so what happened was that Moses raised up some men, and they were the elders of the assistant pastors of the church. Well, 70 of those men are going with him, and they're going to go have a head-on collision with God. They're going to see God do a mighty and awesome work. But as they get there, it said they had to worship from afar. Now, why would they have to worship from afar? Well, here's the thing. Before Jesus died on the cross, we, as a, a human race, was separated from God because of our sin. Now, we were under the Old Covenant, as we're going to see tonight, and they made sacrifices unto the Lord, and the sacrifices pushed their sin one year closer to the coming Messiah. And they made sacrifices, and it was pushing their sin forward. But you know what? Their sin was still there. There still needed to be redemption. And so under the Old Covenant, you had to worship from afar. You could not draw near to God the way that we can today. The law says that we shall not draw near. But we're no longer under the law, under grace. It says, let us draw near. The Bible tells us, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Do you know that if you've been born again, and that's not a term Billy Graham made up, that's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. When Nicodemus, the most religious man of the day, the Pope of the day, showed up, he said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again. And he said, Well, Can I crawl back into my mother's womb and be born again? What are you talking about? He said, no, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. You know, we've all been born physically, or you wouldn't be sitting here, right? So you've been born physically, but you need to be born spiritually. And only those who've been born again become a part of God's family. And it's not going to church that saves you, and it's not being righteous that saves you, not doing good things, but it's confessing you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Well, the good news is that once we do that, the Bible tells us we've been adopted into God's family, and we become His kids. That means I am not the son, but a son or a child of God, amen? And He is Abba Father, He's my dad, He's my Heavenly Father, and I can draw near to Him. And remember, Daddy is never far away. Amen? A lot of people think God is this far away, distant God. He's so far away. He couldn't have time for me. I'm just a speck of dust in the universe. And He's just infinite, awesome God, and He has no time for me. Let me tell you something, that you are always on God's mind. He's always thinking about you. He loves you so very much. His grace is sufficient. He'd rather die than live without you. You're always on His mind. That's our God. He's Abba Father. And so, sadly, they had to worship from afar. But for us, when we worship, guess what? We draw very, very near to Him. And isn't that precious? Why is it that we begin our services worshiping God? It's so that we will draw near to Him. We'll get our eyes off of the world. We'll get our eyes on Him. And our hearts will be prepared to hear from Him. That He might minister to us. You know what? Worship is awesome, and I love it. You know why? Because it's who we're worshiping. That's what I love about it. I don't care about, you know, if you have 40 instruments or one instrument. I don't care, you know, what about the, you know, the mechanics of worship. But what I love to see is people worship. I love to stand back there and see you guys worshiping. And you know who loves it even more than me? Almighty God does. Amen? And they had to worship from afar off. They're under the old covenant. But we're not. We can draw near to God. And that's a privilege and a blessing that We never ever take it for granted. Verse 2, And Moses alone shall come up near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. Now Moses was allowed to draw near to God. And we're going to see tonight that Moses is a type or a picture of Christ. Why is that? Because he is like the great high priest. What did Moses do? God used Moses to deliver Egypt out of the bondage of slavery. And God used his son, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to deliver us from the bondage of sin. Moses is going to go up and he's going to be with God the Father and he's going to be delivered the law and he's going to intercede on behalf of his people. Where is Jesus right now? He's the great high priest. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he makes intercession for us every single day. So Moses is able to draw near as a type of or a picture of Christ interceding on behalf of the people verse 3. So Moses came and told the people all the world words, excuse me, of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, "All the words which the Lord has said, we will do." Now, all the words is chapter 20 through 23. He came and gave them the 10 commandments. He came and gave them all the ordinances and the laws because there needs to be laws for people to function and you know what for us to function in the flesh we must have physical laws and just like there are physical laws there are spiritual laws spiritual laws are truths whether you believe it or not if you don't believe in gravity and you step off a 500 foot building you're falling anyway amen and if you don't believe that you're a sinner in need of a savior guess what you still are Because it's not what you believe, it's not what you vote on, it's not how popular you think it is. It's the truth is the truth is the truth, whether we believe it or not. And so here we see Moses says and brings and delivers these words to the people, and the people receive it and say, "We we will obey all of it. Now this sounds like a wonderful answer, and in some ways it is. They say, whatever the Lord has delivered, we will do it. Here's the problem though. The the, where, it or, where it originates is from themselves. They're going to try to do it. How many of you have ever like, tried to serve God with your whole heart and you blow it? Raise your hand. Every hand ought to be up. I'm going to raise both mine, okay? When we try to do it ourselves, we're just, we're just waiting to happen. You know what? We are sinners and we sin every single day. And you know what? We don't accidentally sin. We choose to sin. Sin's not something you fall into. Words don't slip out of your mouth. The things that we do, we choose to do. And we're sinners. And so when they come and say, here's the ordinance of God, the proper response, and again, I love their hearts because they say, whatever you say, we'll do it. Well, we'll see how long that lasts, but they're going to say, whatever you say, we'll do it. And what they should have said is, Lord, help me to, to obey your commands. Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, I need your strength. I need need to walk with me. Lord, I know I'm going to blow it, but Lord, just forgive me. And Lord, walk with me and strengthen me. You know what? Christians, we are not perfect. Our Savior is. Amen? Aren't you glad that you're not getting to heaven on your good works? We'd all be in trouble, right? We're getting there because of the good work that He did for us upon the cross. So Moses, again, faithful to his people. And look what he does. I love this wording in here. It says, he brought them all of the words which the Lord has said. Now, he, he, the words of the Lord and all the judgments. So, when Moses came to the people, did he bring them five of the commandments? You know, I, I, some of those might hurt your feelings a little bit. So, I'm just going to share five. Is that what he did? No. Did he come in and say, I'm afraid I might offend somebody, so I'm going to take about four of these judgments right out of here. And let's just take that out of there. You know what? Though, the sad part is, there's a lot of pastors that do that with this book right here. They want to preach to you and just tell you how wonderful you are every week because they're afraid you might not come back if you find out you're a sinner. Or they don't want to take their favorite parts out. You know, they want to take that out of there. Let's talk about giving every week. We're trying to build a new building. Let's talk about giving every week. Right? They pick and choose parts of the Bible, and they, they're, they're not teaching their people the whole counsel of God. God has called me as the pastor of Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz to teach the whole counsel of god that means every single word in this book that's why we don't skip chapters that's why i don't skip verses that's why we teach verse by verse chapter by chapter book by book through the whole bible you know when you get a letter from a a loving friend who you haven't talked to in a while maybe it's a 15 page letter Do you turn to page 13 and read a sentence and put it away and then turn to page two the next time and read a sentence and put it away i mean you never have a clue what that letter was about but yet that's the way a lot of people teach the bible we're not going to do that. Again, not that we've we got all the answers, but we know who does. Amen? And it's in this book right here. And that's why we want to know the whole counsel of God. Study to show yourselves approved. A workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm watching some of you grow like weeds spiritually, and I know it has everything to do with the fact that this word is being taught without compromise. On Sundays, God's doing great things. On Wednesdays, God's doing great things. But why is He doing it? has nothing to do with any man. has everything to do with faithfulness to what God's called us to do. And Moses was faithful, and he brought him back all the statutes. He brought him back all of the Word. He didn't just give him some of it. And may we never be guilty of giving him some of it. Amen? May we never water it down so we don't hurt people's feelings. You know, I don't like that rule about not playing on the freeway. Let's just get rid of that one. It won't hurt too much your kid gets hit by a bus. I mean, we need to make sure that we give them all the rules and all the law. and all the, But we need to teach the law, but we need to teach grace. Amen? The whole counsel of God. Yes, we're sinners. But you know what? We have a loving God who paid the price for our sin. And Moses came and he delivered the whole statute and the people said, oh, we'll do all of it. Well, let's see how successful that they are. Again, many people are afraid to teach the whole council. But remember, there's none righteous, no, not one. And the proper response is not, I will, but thy will. Lord, strengthen me. Lord, direct me. Verse 4. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. He wrote all the words of the Lord. So he not only delivered it to them, he wrote it all down. Now, who wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Who wrote those five books? Moses. Moses. And he's writing the Word down. He gives them the written Word. So that means that the people of that day were governed by the written Word of God. And what should we be governed by as Christians today? The written Word of God. This is our manual for life. This is our love letter from God, and this is what we draw on. So Moses wrote all the words of the Lord down, and God governed them using those words. And he rose early in the morning, and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain, twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. So after, after he delivers the word to them, and after he delivers to them the, the laws and all the statutes that they are to keep, he then builds an altar. Now going back, to Genesis, or going back to chapter 20, when he gave them the law, he did the same thing. Why? Because once the law has been delivered... And we see that the law is that mirror that reveals our sin. As soon as you put up the law, as soon as you see it, you go, oh, I'm blowing it. Oh, I'm a sinner. And without the law, we, see, we don't see our sin. That's why if we don't teach the Bible to people, they'll never see that they're sinners in need of a Savior. So once we, they saw the law, what did they have to do? He had to build an altar. What does the altar do? It's for sacrifice. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or forgiveness of sin. So you cannot be forgiven without the shedding of blood. It's impossible. And it can't just be the shedding of any blood. In the Old Covenant, which they're under right now, the blood had to be of a firstborn spotless lamb or a firstborn oxen, and they had to be perfect, without flaw. Why? Because they were a picture of Jesus. The ox couldn't forgive your sin, and neither could the lamb, but they pointed to the lamb of God amen and so that's why it had to be perfect that's why it had to be the firstborn now it's interesting that they're going to make this sacrifice this blood sacrifice but i want to say something you go back to the first sin what was the first sin somebody tell me adam and eve in the garden and what did they do as soon as they sinned what did they do they hid remember they ran and they hid from god They were walking with God in the cool of the day. They had a perfect relationship with God. Why? Because God is without sin and He's perfect. And the only way we can be in His presence is if we too are perfect. And they were perfect at the time, without sin. But once they sinned, they were convicted and they hid from God. And then God did something that's incredible. The Bible says that God killed an animal and took the skins of the animal and gave them to Adam and Eve as coverings. So the first sin in the Bible we see the first time that there must be the shedding of blood for the covering of sin. As soon as, right off the bat, right when it happened, the first sin in the Bible, we see the shedding of blood for the covering of sin pointing again to Jesus. Thousands of years, 4,000 years later, Jesus would come. And it's pointing to Christ because when we sin, our sin must be covered. It can't be covered by our works. It must be covered by our Savior. The 12 pillars here represent all 12 tribes of Israel. So they build the altar, they put the 12 pillars around it, again pointing to the the covenant between God and Israel. Verse 5. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of the oxen of the Lord. Now the young men, again, were the ones that we talked about earlier. This is before the Levites had become the priestly tribe, which we'll see in the next book that we're getting to. And before that, the firstborn of every family was dedicated to God and became a priest, in a sense. Served God. And so these young men went and had burnt offerings and peace offerings. Now it's interesting to me that they made these sacrifices according to God's command and they had burnt offerings and peace offerings. Burnt offerings being a picture of suffering and peace being a picture of the result of the suffering. You have the burnt offering and the peace offering. Well, through what our Savior did for us on the cross, we now have peace with our Heavenly Father. Through His suffering comes peace. And Jesus is referred to as the Prince of Peace. Amen? And so they come to the altar and they make the sacrifice, and the sacrifice that they make is they sacrifice a burnt offering and they sacrifice a peace offering. Both pictures pointing to the picture of Christ. Verse 6, And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. The altar, again, speaks of Calvary and Christ's crucifixion. And he took the blood and he sprinkled it on the altar. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. You can't, there's no other way that salvation can come. Verse 7, Then he took the book of the covenant and he read in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. So first time he gave them orally, just told them what the law said. This time he's written it all down. He stands before them. He reads it to them again. I love this. This is a good pastor. He doesn't just give it to them once. He tells them again. He takes them back through the word one more time. He makes sure they understand what God is calling them to do. You know what? You guys hear, I know you hear me repeat things a lot. And you know what? That's by design. When I was a youth pastor, you should have seen me then. I mean, I would tell them 50 times. Why? Because the more we hear it, the more we're going to receive it and respond to it and remember it. Amen? And so here we go. Moses comes back and he reads it to them again. And they say, this time, they don't even say, we're going to respond. They say, we're going to to do it and we're going to be obedient. We're going to do it. Yeah, let's go. We're going to honor. We're going to, all those statutes. Now remember, four chapters of statutes. That was a lot of stuff, remember? And they said, we'll be obedient to all of it. We're going to obey all of it. we're going to find out how successful they're going to be. Now, something interesting happens here in verse 8. Look what it says here. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Now, he sprinkles the blood on the people. This is the only time anywhere in the Bible where you see blood being sprinkled on the people. And so the blood is being sprinkled on the people. Now, this signifies the covenant that the people had freely entered into. The same blood that symbolized the death of sacrifice on the altar would also represent life that would be in the people who would would turn to that, that sacrifice. So through the sacrifice, that shed blood on the cross is death for Christ who suffered and died that we might have what? Eternal life. So the same blood that is sprinkled on the altar is the same blood that washes away our sin. The same blood that was shed on the cross is the blood that washes us clean and makes us white as snow. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but what? The blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing else can save us. And so we see here they sprinkle the blood on the altar pointing to the sacrifice, and they sprinkle the blood on the people as a, to signify the covenant that they've made between them and God. He is going to be the one that, is, that makes the sacrifice on our behalf. He's going to be the sacrifice on our behalf. And through that sacrifice, we will be made clean. And that's what the blood here signifies. Old Again, Old Testament sacrifices pushed the sin forward, and the Old Covenant depended on people. That's the sad part. Now, here's why the Old Covenant failed. The Old Covenant depended on people being obedient. Do you think that will ever work? How many of you have kids? Raise your hand. Are your kids, how many of you have kids that are obedient 100% of the time? Remember, lying is a sin, so don't put your hand up. All right. So if, we, if we're trusting in obedience, the old covenant will never make it because it's based on what man can do. doesn't work. You know what's great about the covenant that we're under now? It's not based on what man can do. It's based on what God has already done. Amen? When Jesus died, what did He say? Last three words, to tell us die, which means what? It is finished. So when He died on the cross, it's all paid for. And so it's, not, it's no longer how good we can be or how much we can do for Him, but it's what He's already done for us. It's paid in full, and all we have to do is accept it. Now, the Old Covenant pointed to the New Covenant because what did it do? It showed man that he can't do it. He can strive and he can try. And they go and they made the sacrifice that was pointing to Christ and to push their sin one year forward toward the coming Messiah, but they kept blowing it and they kept blowing it and they kept blowing it and that's why they needed Jesus Christ. And that's why you and I need Jesus Christ. The New Covenant would be ratified through Jesus and guess what? As blood was shed on the altar, so would blood have to be shed on the cross because... Again, I know I'm saying this over and over again. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. The sad part is that you'll have people come knock on your door and tell you you can get to heaven just by being really good. You can, be, you can go to heaven if you read a book and get a burning in your bosom. Right? You can go to heaven by knocking on enough doors. You can go to heaven by you know, all these other different things. You, know, you, you could die and people could be baptized for you 50 years after you're dead. I mean, they'll tell you all kinds of ways that you can get to heaven But there's one way God said to get to heaven, and Jesus is the only way. Amen? And that's why we must clearly understand this covenant. The old covenant pointed not to Muhammad. The old covenant pointed not to Joseph Smith. The old covenant did not point to Mary Baker Eddy, the Church of Religious Science, the church of any church you want to come up. It didn't point to any of those. That old covenant could only be fulfilled in one, and that's Jesus. And that's why we love Him so much, and that's why... He alone can be our Savior. Only a holy sacrifice can restore a sinful man back to a holy God. And guess what? There's only been one who is without sin. And it's Jesus. Amen? I know I'm I'm saying this over and over again, but you know what? It bears repeating. Verse 9. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. What do you mean they saw the God of Israel? Doesn't the Bible say no one has seen God at any time? The only begotten Son is of the bosom of Him. He has declared Him. Doesn't it say in 1 John chapter 4, no one has seen God at any time? Then how in the world could these people have seen God? It says that they went up and they saw the God of Israel. How could they? Wait a minute. The Bible says that no one can see God and this says that they saw God. How is that possible? Now, I want to make it really clear. The Bible is never wrong. The Bible is never contradicting itself. The Bible's always true. It's 100% right. And like I've said a million times, it's 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. And how is that possible? Because God wrote it. No one has seen God at any time. That's the truth. No one has seen God the Father in the fullness of His glory at any time, and you know why? Because if we did, you'd be smoke. Because He's perfect and holy, and you're not. Amen? And so if we came in our sinfulness before holy God, we'd be smoke. But it says here, they saw the God of Israel. So how's that possible? Well, let me ask you a question. When Moses was called to go to Egypt, what did he see? What did he see? A burning bush. And what spoke to him out of the burning bush? God did. Didn't God speak to him? Yes, He did. Are there other times when we've seen God speaking? What about, what is it that led the Israelites as they were wandering in the wilderness? What was it? A pillar of fire and a cloud by... Now, the Bible says that that is who? That was God leading them. Now, they saw the pillar of fire and they knew it was a representation of God, but they did not truly see Almighty God in His fullness of His glory. Now we know later that Moses, it says, he's going to see the backside of God. How many of you remember that text where it talks about him seeing the backside of God? He puts him in the cleft of the rock and he covers him up and he says, he goes by and he sees the backside. But it's not the backside of the person of God, it's a reflection of his glory that that word is talking about. So no man has seen God at any time. So it says here they saw God though. Pastor Dave, help me out here. I'm not understanding this. One of two things is true here, Okay. And I'll be honest with you, I'm going to be direct with you, I'm not sure which of these things is true, but one of, these, one of these two things is true. First of all, they, like John, saw a vision of God. What did John see in Revelation chapter 4, verse 3? He said he went up in the Spirit, and what did he do? He saw God. He saw heaven, right? Now, did he truly go to heaven? I don't think so. I believe that in the Spirit, God revealed to him, it to him. I believe, if, you know what, if anybody goes to heaven, they're not coming back. Amen? And if you go to heaven and hang out in heaven for three seconds, you ain't coming back to this dung heap. There's no way, right? I'm staying, right? But God can reveal things to man so that we can receive it. But if he were to reveal the fullness of his glory, there's no way that any of us could be anywhere near him. We'd be dead on a doornail. You know what? No matter how powerful you think God is, when you get to heaven, you are going to be blown away, I promise you. When when we see the fullness of His grace and His love and His mercy and His omniscience and His power and just His glory, we are going to be blown away. And there's no way that these guys could just walk up and see the glory of God in His fullness. But they saw a representation of God. Now the other option is this, that they saw yet another Christophany. What is a Christophany? Who knows what that is? Somebody raise your hand. It's Jesus in the Old Testament. How many know there are many Christophanies in the Old Testament? Jesus is in the Old Testament numerous, numerous times. One of my favorite times, I just taught it today at Monta Vista. I taught chapel. And in chapter 3 of Daniel, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. You guys remember that story? And as they're in the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar, will, throw them in, right? And he's fired up. And he throws them in. Heated them seven times hotter. I don't know how hot fire has to be to burn you. But he throws them in. And he looks in. And what does he say? Didn't we throw three in and there's four and the fourth one is in the likeness of the son of god now who's that that would be jesus 600 years before jesus was born why because jesus is not a created being jesus is god he always has been and he always will be so when they came up and it says they saw the god of israel either god Revealed to them a vision, either God showed them something to reveal Himself to them, the Shekinah glory of God that Moses is going to have fall upon Him, or it's a Christophany. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know which one it is, but I'll be honest with you, it doesn't matter. Because ever God wants to reveal Himself, He can reveal Himself. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. He said in John ten thirty, I and the Father are one. We don't serve three gods, we serve one God. Amen. In three persons: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Bible says in First John, if you diminish the Son, you diminish the Father. So Christophany, an appearance of Jesus prior to his birth, or again, God the Father, who's not confined by a physical body, somehow revealing Himself to them, whether again through the, something like the burning bush. I'm not sure how He did it, but I know that God did because that's what He says right here, and the Bible's always true. Amen. And that's enough for me. God says it; that settles it. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. Now, other people have said, you know, maybe they were just looking up at God and they saw just a glimpse, like again, like Moses, the backside of his glory, because it says all they saw was his feet. Either they were so blown away that they're heads were like this and they didn't want to look up or they saw him from afar off and it was just a representation of his glory or it was a vision or whatever it was and they saw it and it was beautiful and it was magnificent and again it was the full power and and glory of almighty God what is Jesus one of Jesus's names he said you shall give birth to a child and his name shall be called Emmanuel which means what God with us And so they saw an appearance, and it could have been Christ seated, it could have been a vision that God gave to them, I'm not really sure, but in either case, they knew that they had seen God. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, He did not lay His hand. So they saw God, and they ate and they drank. Now, the interesting part about this is whenever they would enter into a covenant, it was very customary that they would have a meal, that they would have a covenant meal together. Now it's interesting that they ate and they drank. And again, I don't know for sure, but this very well could have been a picture of communion. Why? They're entering into covenant with Almighty God. As they enter into covenant with Almighty God, the closest thing that we do to that today, as far as that kind of covenant, we've been born again, we're already adopted into His family, but we renew that covenant in a sense every time we come to the Lord's table. What are we remembering when we come on the third Sunday of the month, if you guys are here, when we go and we have communion, what are we remembering? Remembering His death upon the cross. His body that was broken for us and that through His shed blood we have forgiveness of sin. And every time we do that, it's a remembrance of that covenant or that promise that God has made to us that we have entered into. And so here too, as they entered into this covenant with God, they come together and it says they, have, they eat and they drink and they saw God work. Now here's the scary part though. Who's there that saw God? Aaron? I want you to pay attention because in a couple of weeks you're going to see some more of this. Aaron? Abahu and Nadab, right? Guess what? Those guys are going to be blowing it pretty quick. What is Aaron going to do in just a few chapters? While Moses is up on the mountain, the shekinah glory is upon the mountain, and Aaron is down here, and the people start wigging out because he's been gone for a lo- you know forty days. He's never coming back. We're all going to die, right? Aaron's supposed to be the spiritual leader. He's left behind. And what does Aaron do? Who remembers? Make uh, uh, makes a golden cap. Now, wait a minute. Didn't he just see God right here in this chapter? Whether it was a Christophany or an image of God or whatever it was. And now he's going to come down and he's going to make a golden calf and start worshiping it. Hello. I mean, it doesn't, you know what, though, the set, you know, just don't want to do this to Aaron, right? But you know what, in my own life, I do the same thing. We see God move mightily. Then we go back and we start, you know, hanging on to the world. And the scary part is when Moses comes down and says, now, where did did this golden calf come from? Oh, well, you know, we just threw the gold in there, and the big thing just popped out of there. That's what he says. You're going to see it in a few weeks. Oh, yeah, this cow just popped out of there. Okay. Aaron was over there pounding on it and hammering it and chiseling it and then bowing down and worshiping it. Really, really sad. So these guys saw God, but yet they still continued to blow it. Verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written. That you may teach them. Now, when God gives them the commandments, what is Moses supposed to do with them? That you may what? Teach them. Who does God deliver his word to in a powerful way? I believe those who will take it and use it to minister to others. One of my favorite Bible teachers is John Corson. And I listen to that guy teach, and it blows my mind. He'll teach something I'm like, man, I ought to quit right now. I have no business ever opening the Bible again. You know? But you know what? I believe God has given him a great gift because he's faithful to take what God has given him and use it to minister to others. And it doesn't have to be in a pastoral role. It can be that God will reveal truth to you in God's Word so you can go to work and share it with your coworkers. So you can sit your kids down and share with them the love of God from the Word of God. Every one of us ought to be Bible students. Amen? Every one of us ought to fall in love with God's Word. And you know what? When you do, your life will be changed. and You'll have an impact on the world around you. Look what it says there on the It says, come up to me on the mountain and be there. I like that. You know what, sometimes we show up, but we're not there. You know what I mean? You show up and you're, you know, you don't even know what happened, right? How many of you have been somewhere, but you're not really there? You're not focused. You're not, you know, it's, it's not a get to, it's a have to. Somebody drug you there. And he's saying, you come up and be there. And we know he's going to be there for 40 days. Lord said, I want you to just be patient and wait upon me. I want your focus to be on me. I want you to come up here and I want you to be there. You know what guys, we need to come before the Lord and we need not to be you know, dozing off on our, on our pillow trying to read our Bible, waking up a drool you know, in, in the book of Psalms or something, right? When we open up the Bible, we need to be there. When we worship the Lord, we need to be there. When you come in for worship, worship, be there. And he called him up on the mountain and he said, be there, be engaged, be in locked in, be focused on him. We need to do more than show up, but be ready to hear from him. It's here in this verse that it says for the first time, that I will give you the law of the commandments on tablets of stone. You know, I love this. Tablets of stone. First time we've seen it. Jesus is referred to in the, Old, in the New Testament as the rock. In Daniel, he's called the stone cut without hands. He's also called the word. And isn't it interesting that the Ten Commandments are words on stone? I like that. I love how the Bible just fits so perfectly together. And so He is the rock, He is the stone, He's the chief cornerstone, He's the Word, and those are the two things that were given to deliver the law to them that they would see that they need the stone, that they need the rock, that they need the Word, that they need the Savior. It comes when it's been delivered to them that they see their need. I love it. And man, don't you just love the Old Testament? How can people not like, oh, I don't like the Old Testament, it's kind of boring. What, what book are you reading? This book is awesome. It's just God's, again, it's, a, it's like a history book, just revealing Jesus to us over and over and over and over again. We're almost done. Verse 13. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. Now this is another occurrence. They go up to the mountain of God, and as they get up to the mountain of God, he brings his assistant with them. Now Moses, while he's a typology of Christ, he's also a picture of something else. The law. Because he's the one that wrote the first five books of the Bible. And you know what? The law can bring us near to the land of promise, but we can't enter in by the law. Moses did not enter in to Canaan. How many of you remember that? Why not? Who remembers? What did he do? He struck the rock when he told him to speak to the rock. Now, the law can bring us near to the land of promise, but we cannot enter in through the law. The law says... Oh, yeah, I'm in need of a Savior. It convicts me of my sin and says, oh, I need Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting that he brought with him Joshua, his assistant or his minister. Now, we know that Jesus is a servant. Now, Joshua, the name, can also be transliterated into what? Jesus. The name Joshua is the same name as Jesus. And isn't it interesting that it's Joshua that brought them into the land of promise when Moses could not. The law could not get you into heaven, but Jesus can. Amen? The law couldn't bring them, but Jesus could. And it's interesting to me that as he goes up to the Father, that he brings Joshua, whose name means Jesus, with him so that he might come into the presence of the Father. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And so he's bringing Joshua with him, Jesus, right, picture of Christ, to enter into the presence of the Father. Man, the Old Testament is good. No way we can enter apart from that. And here we see that it's his assistant, and he's also the heart of a servant. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has difficulty, let him go to him. They leave Aaron and her in charge. Now, we know that, again, they've been godly men up to this point, but it's not going to last, and we'll get into that in a couple of weeks. Verse 15. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now, the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now, I love this, that the cloud, again, remember I told you, here's a presence of God. The word here is Shekinah, Shekinah, glory of God. Not as Raul reached Chicano, it's not the Chicano glory. It's the, it's the Shekinah Glory of God, it rested upon the mountain, and Moses went up into the mountain. Now, what I love about this, I want to just, you to see something here real quick. That the glory of God covered the mountain. So the people knew that when Moses was going up, that they saw the glory of God upon the mountain, and they knew, so they would know that when he came back down, that whatever he received came directly from God. It wasn't Moses, it was God. But look at this, I want you to see this. Now, the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now, remember that a thousand years is to a day as a day is to a thousand years. We talked about this a few weeks ago. From the time of Adam until Jesus, 4,000 years. Time of Jesus until now, 2,000 years. That's 6,000 years. 1,000 years is to a day as a day is to 1,000 years. It says after six days... He calls out of the cloud, and what does he say? Come up. And what's that a picture of? What is going to happen to us as a church? We are going to be out of here. We're going to be raptured by the Lord. It says right there in the text, Now, the glory of the Lord rested, the cloud covered it six days. On the seventh day, he called out to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. He called him. Come up. And that's what's going to happen. The Bible says in a twinkling of an eye. Boom, we're out of here. And I can't wait. We're ha-ha-ha, heaven bound. Amen? And I can't wait to get there. And I love, again, here we see, again, a clear picture in the Old Testament. Six days. Now, the Bible says no man knows the day or the hour, and I'm certainly not trying to predict a day or an hour because I don't know. All right? But could the Lord come back today? The answer is yes. And if he did, are you ready? Do you know him? Or do you just know about him? Don't don't leave here without him, man. People say don't leave home without the American Express card, man. Don't leave earth without Jesus Christ, amen? Because that's much more heavy than having your American Express card at a restaurant. Verse 17, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went up into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. We've talked about the fact that 40 is a representation in the Bible of testing. You know, 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. You guys remember that? How many days did Goliath come down to the bottom of the the valley of Elah and challenge Israel to come out and fight him? 40 days and 40 nights. How many days and nights did it rain? 40 days and 40 nights. 40 is the number of testing. You might say, well, Moses was being tested going up and spending 40 days with God. Nope. As we're going to see here in a few chapters, during those 40 days, it's not Moses who's being tested, it's the people that are still down in the bottom of that hill that forget about Moses, they don't think he's coming back, and you know what, we can do the same thing with God. We can think, man, I've been praying about this a long time and he's never going to answer. Where'd he go? He's right there. He hasn't left. He's in control and he's faithful. Amen? So in closing, in conclusion, as this chapter we see the old covenant clearly portrayed, and we see only that through a holy and perfect sacrifice can sinful man be restored back to holy God. We saw a picture of the new covenant, that Jesus paid the price. If you've given your life to Him, your sins are forgiven, and again, you're heaven bound. And then we see a picture at the end of the chapter that I really love when He says, come on up here. And you know what? We need to be ready. We need to live every day like Jesus Christ is coming back tomorrow. And I want to I say this to, if you're here tonight, and maybe somebody brought you and you don't even want to be here, or, or whatever reason, I want you to know that you're here by divine appointment and nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God. And you know what? I believe there's at least one, if not more people here who don't know Jesus Christ. And you know what? Here's how you can become a Christian. I'm not, a- not going to ask you to join a club and I'm not going to ask you to join our church and we don't want your money. It's not about any of that. Here's what I'm going to say. Jesus Christ loves you so much that he's willing to die that you might have eternal life. The word I want you to understand is grace. God it's riches at Christ's expense grace God's riches at Christ's expense has nothing to do with you has everything to do with him here's how much he loves you and all you have to do is say i believe Please forgive me. I want you to be my Savior. The Bible says in Romans ten nine, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. And that's it. You don't have to do 57 things. You don't have to do a 12-step program. You don't have to crawl on your knees to Mecca. You don't have to do anything other than say, I want Jesus to be my Savior. Invite Him to come into your life. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. And Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the Old Testament in just a clear way that it points to you to your death upon the cross. And just thank you, Jesus, for, your, for the way you suffered and died. we might have eternal life. And Father, I just thank you, Lord, for sending your Son, because you love us so much. Lord, I pray if there's even one person here tonight that doesn't know you. Lord, your, your word says that when one person comes to know you, that all the angels in heaven rejoice. Lord, and we want to start a party up in heaven tonight. Lord, I also want to pray, Father God, again, if they're here, that, Lord, that they would not allow the being scared or worried about what other people think. But Lord, that they would just respond to your Holy Spirit's drawing them to a personal, intimate relationship with you. So as every head's bowed, I'm not going to take a lot of time with this. If you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, or maybe you you made a confession a long time ago and you know what, your life never changed. All you have to do is confess that you're a sinner. And I'll just pay a very simple prayer with you. We're not going to have you stand in front of 50 people, even though the Bible says if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in Heaven. But if you're here tonight and you know you were brought here by divine appointment, And you want to make sure that if you walk out this door that you've got a relationship with God. And when he says, come up here, you're going with him. And you're going to spend eternity in heaven with the creator of the universe. If there's anybody here at all, just raise your hand and I want to pray with you. God bless you. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? You can know that you know. Don't let the enemy win. God brought you here tonight for this reason because he loves you that much. Nothing happens by chance. Is there anybody else? Well. For the one who raised your hand, everybody pray with me. Just pray out loud together with your heads bowed, all of us together. Dear Heavenly, Father, Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, and I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me for my sin, to make me a new creation. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that He suffered and died on my behalf that He paid the price for my sin. I believe that by confessing in Him, my sins are forgiven. Thank You, Lord, for forgiving me, for me adopting me into Your family. Fill me now with Your Spirit. Help me to walk with You. Lord, I dedicate my life to You. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Worship team, let's close with a song. Everybody stand up. Praise the Lord. God is so good. Amen.